नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चारवक पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा आई अपोलॉजाइज फॉर द लेट डिले स्लाइट डिले इन आवर स्टार्ट वी वर हैविंग सम टेक इश्यूज बट वी आर काइंड ऑफ गोइंग टू वर्क अराउंड देम इन द लाइव स्ट्रीम टुडे वी आर हैविंग सम इको इश्यूज सो आई अपोलॉजाइज फॉर दैट इन द बिगिनिंग बट आई विल ट्राई टू वर्क अराउंड देम सो टुडेस डिस्कशन इज ऑन द ऑनगोइंग इजराइल पैलेस्टाइन कॉन्फ्लिक्ट एज यू नो देयर हैज बीन अ लॉट ऑफ बैक एंड फोर्थ you know when it comes to the israel palestine conflict and i had uh, i was waiting to do a podcast on the same and i wanted to have a holistic view of what the exact current conflict is all about and i was like you know who better to go to and talk about it than um, jaydeep so jaydeep thanks for coming on the podcast thank you for inviting me it's always fun to talk about this topic okay jaydeep so now let us start like this uh, so i'll request you to first give you know everybody who's going to be watching this right now see a lot of times people think these kinds of questions are in a way silly or uh, basic or immaterial but i actually think there's a lot of value in them so if you could could you explain the current conflict because there is so much confusion even about or disinformation even about what the current conflict is what is it all about so let's start there what the current conflict that is basically leading you know rockets flying in from the gaza strip and the iron dome being activated and then retaliation from the israeli side so what is it all about see the many people want to pin everything down uh, pin everything to this what's happened in sheikh jara um, or shimon hasadik um, neighborhood as the it's known in hebrew and that's not really the cause in my opinion i mean we'll get into it i'll still tell you guys what that is but i think this is the age old conflict that's coming up i think it's just an excuse uh for the firing that said now what has happened let's go through this now it's not the shimona tsadik thing it's earlier uh, about about a month ago um for security reasons uh, the israeli police really put some fences uh, near damascus gate um and the palestinians protested now two years ago when they put metal detectors there so uh, the the palestinians had also protested so anything the israelis do for security law and order measures is always protested simply because it's israel doing it simple as that so anyway now that's one th- uh, there's some protests a few rockets were fired from gaza into israel and israel struck back and but because it's not thousands of rockets like this time I don't think the international press uh, picked up on it because this is a fair, this is a day-to-day occurrence in Israel unfortunately rockets being fired from Gaza uh, or from uh, Lebanon Lebanon something like that and after that what happened was a few days later uh, Mahmoud Abbas decided to cancel Palestine Palestinian elections he blamed it conveniently on the Israelis saying but Israel is not allowing East Jerusalem like East Jerusalem Jerusalemites to vote uh, in the elections and uh, now the the theory is here that a lot of people think that it would have been a close election and and must would have probably won those elections now those elections have not happened for quite a long time you know roughly 15 years or something elections have not happened right and the last time the elections were held in in uh, gaza uh, hamas won with a slight majority i think out of 130 30, 35 seats they have seats 70 75 just over the half thing um and hamas in a way i think wanted to remind the palestinians that uh, they are still there and uh, they are the defenders of jerusalem or something i think that's one of the motivations hamas has now we get to what i think you are referring to what has happened in uh, shimon hasadik neighborhood in 1875 uh, 
the a Jewish man bought that area because uh, it is uh, holy for whatever reason uh, to the to the Jewish people. And what happened is there were Jews and Arabs living there. It was a mixed neighborhood. In 1948, when the state of Israel was established, uh, as we know, um, it was invaded by six other Arab states. And what happened was that was that of Jerusalem was captured by the Jordanians, and the Jordanians basically uh, ethnically cleansed. Um, I don't necessarily mean kill, but basically pushed the pushed out the Jews from the neighborhood completely, and Arabs started living there. In 1967, the they took that area back. And since then, there has been a dispute over who owns that land. Because the Jews have uh, bought it in 1875. I remind you, not in 1948 during the war or something. 1875. So the Supreme, so the Supreme Court, took, these people have been living there for so long. Let's not disturb this. Um, so let them live there. But the Jews, the Jews will maintain the ownership of the land, and the Jews, the the living there should pay rent. But now for 40 years. Uh, uh, or more, um, th th no rent has been paid. So re recently, what has happened? A court decision uh, said that said that, uh, uh, but essentially, the, so the Supreme Court finally ruled that uh, the Arabs who have not paid the not for more than forty years can be evicted. Now, this was just an excuse again for Hamas to start shooting rockets into Israel. I don't think this issue is itself like self like, so sensitive. Now that said, that any land ownership in Jerusalem is very sensitive to all religions, and you will notice that a lot of, although there's no law, law exactly, uh, you will notice that uh, Christians will not sell to non-Christians, Christians not sell to non-Muslims, non-Muslims will not sell to non-Jews, uh, simply because it is such important, uh, holy real estate. So, so moving these Arabs uh, will create uh, problems for them, uh, problems uh, from the Muslim perspective. So, so here's my question here. Then, uh, so this is the crux of the issue. So the first question, when it comes to the international media and the way it has been projected, is so I hear two versions, right? There is the Israeli version, and uh, the Israeli version is that this is a property dispute, and in fact, that is something that I wrote in the description of the podcast too. That the Israeli version is that this is a property dispute, and I think it was like four. Uh, apartments or whatever properties or six families of people who have been told to vacate the the premises because they have not been paying rent and it's nothing more than that and the other side the accusation towards the israelis has been that no israel is uh, uh, you know a dominating state using excessive power we'll get into the apartheid state a bit a little bit later on but uh, so the accusation against israel is that no it, this is not a property dispute this is a historical dispute where israel is oppressing you know innocent palestinian people so what would be the answer for that jedi see the state of affairs is that i mean yes uh, that israel is trying to remove those from specific families only uh, but if you're going to you know start judging israel on things it might do this is ridiculous you cannot convict someone for things that they may do uh, you have to like see what israel has done and is in and this is something people don't know that israel does have many laws regarding uh, what do you call it? um acquisition of land like for example uh, land is israel cannot acquire land that is privately owned now if now it had belonged long uh, like 
whatever you want to call it the arab executive council or something um i don't think such land exists anymore because that is a long time back i'm talking about the 20, 1920s and 1930s but something like that some public land had been there israel can take it private land cannot be um taken by israel by israel laws have developed or developed it's not like from 1948 onwards it's always been this way but um it is not so simple as people think it is for israel to just come in and take the land and the supreme court has been fairly activist in this uh they have actually and that and that is one of the reasons why you will see like uh, many people on israel's right criticizing the quote unquote legal revolution of aharon barak in the late 90s in the mid mid 90s sorry. so so then i have another follow up question if that is the case then uh, then explain this to me how come there is such a huge variation of opinions uh, when it comes from one side to the other so i'll give you an example the the entire reportage in a certain section of whether it's western media or or the indian media uh you know, it's as if you know the israelis are going to eat these people up they're not really letting these people survive then how is the narrative so lopsided in that case it's because um, see i mean this sheer uh, numbers game i mean how many news organizations how many countries uh, support is uh, and this is nothing to do with right or wrong it has to do with their own selfish motives uh, for whatever reason oil or uh, domestic muslim populations or whatever it is and this is sheer numbers and that's why we hear that a lot um, that's, that's all i can think of this it makes no sense otherwise because if you uh, come here and see what's going on it's fairly clear now of course the, what happens is if your ideology is palestine from the river to the sea then this is obviously uh, a problem for you that even this much land you are losing or something to that uh, level but if you are looking at you know um, israel as a is an accepted fact and you have to deal with this identity then this is really a small legal real estate issue of paying rent or not now the smallest of issues like the metal detectors like i mentioned a little while ago a couple of years ago became a big human cry and people were protesting and all that sort of stuff um riots have happened in the past also and now again this is uh, here this uh, this event has also uh, resulted in uh, riots happening between arabs and jews in some uh, cities in israel mixed cities in israel point is but here i will say one very clear thing if it if it had not been for this issue it would have been something else for sure let us not put too much emphasis on this uh, events of uh, shimon hasadik uh, neighborhood um because i think uh, hamas was itching for a fight to prove their relevance to the uh, palestinian political process and after this uh, you know last 10 days i think their chances in the elections if they are ever held of course have increased substantially All right so this is interesting so then what do you say so so i'll give you an example of the international coverage right now so what has happened is uh, as always most of the members of the international media whether it's cnn or whether it's the late night stand up comics who i don't take seriously but unfortunately or fortunately whether we want to admit it or not a lot of people do take them seriously so there is this constant uh, accusation on israel from some senators in the united states of america and england uh, noticeably always on the left and the far left uh you know they seem to be saying that uh, israel is an apartheid state and they are you know 
trying to bully the Palestinians and uh, the way they are bullying them is like, okay, yeah, the Palestinians are throwing rockets, but, you know, they, they reply disproportionately to those rockets by doing this or that. I mean, uh, what do you make of this whole uh, trope being said that, so what the Palestinians threw rockets at them, the, the reply from the Israeli side is disproportionate. I mean, has, is there any kind of a historical precedent said that, you know, if you punch me, I can only give you a slap? This whole notion of proportionality is the, is the most asinine thing I've ever heard of. Um, like if you look at, say, I mean, look at uh, World War II or like Vietnam War, there's several examples I can give you in history. Uh, I'm not sure like anybody follows proportionality. The idea of military engagement is to have uh, three to one superiority, five to one superiority in force because that's because you want to win a war with the least casualties to yourself. This is not a chess game or something where everybody takes turns and you know politely shakes hands or something. Lives are at stake, and so the idea is not to be proportional. The idea is to wipe out the enemy with minimum loss to yourself. That's one thing. Secondly, the uh, when people say that uh, more people have died in uh, Gaza than in uh, Israel. Basically, what they're saying is we want more Israelis to die, then it'll be okay. Never mind the fact that the, palace, the Hamas rockets are uh, low technology um, com compared to the Israeli weapons, even though they are getting better, the Hamas rockets. And uh, never mind that they can't aim properly. Um, and never mind that Israel has a very good uh, defense system. Defense system, mind you, not an offensive system, into missile defense system, which stops many of these rockets from hitting uh, with 90% accuracy or so. The notion that a battle is fair only if like both sides have equal casualties is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't think any army in the world will accept this. Um, and what happens is in uh, when you, the, the tragedy of uh, urban warfare is exactly that uh, a lot of civilians will die. Uh, because they have deliberately hidden themselves in hospitals, in mosques, in schools, in uh, media buildings. Uh, because they know of the, uh, the PR, because nowadays, remember, we have a PR war now. This is not back in the day where two armies meet on the field. Nobody knows what's going on until a messenger comes in the evening saying this army has prevailed. Uh, there's a constant media battle and that's exactly why they do it. They do. Um, it is inevitable when you're fighting in a city um, that there won't be collateral damage. Now, if you look at the map of Gaza, for example, look where the settlements are. Uh, all the border areas have been relatively vacated and they've all shifted into the sort of center. Hamas can very easily find areas where nobody is there, have their own base there. But they will never do that. Of course not. They want it in the basement of the hospital because if Israel strikes the hospital, there'll be a PR outcry. Uh, the roof knocking, for example. The, the Israel calls people in advance. I mean, I don't know. Who does that? And then their excuse is what? Oh, but that one time they didn't call. It's not an obligation of the Israeli military to call every single time. The fact that they call anybody at all shows how much they are uh, taking care of civilian lives. There are several instances in intelligence, intelligence in uh, like even you will see the you will see the footage released by the planes when they're bombing areas uh, because there are children or women or civilians. If, if they say okay, there's many civilians, they will off the mission, and some terrorists will go free that night. Gets lucky. Gets so, uh, in, and I have seen like uh, Australian, American, British uh, servicemen, uh, colonels, and officers, military officers, say to me point blank, like a person as well. I'm sure you can find these clips on YouTube also, where they say that Israel has done far more uh, than any other army in terms of reducing civilian casualties. So, uh, again, 
uh, I've heard this that when Israel actually tries to bomb the Palestinian side, like even Abhijit was talking about it in another podcast that we were having, that he says they first warn the people in that area, then they drop um, uh, a very low intensity bomb that lets them know, look, we're going to be, you know, doing uh, some damage over here, and then they go about doing that. But in spite of all of that, uh, this is more. Like, I mean, I can't blame the Israelis for this, but in spite of all of that, the the narratives always seems to be that Israel is butchering everybody over there. Nobody can survive. There are dead bodies everywhere. It's like uh, uh, I don't know. In fact, this is like I don't know how, what's your opinion on this. In fact, I let I I want to have a discussion on this too. How do you deal with such kind of a narrative, uh, you know, Jaydeep, where no matter what you do, the the other side refuses to listen to you. And in such a scenario, how does one go out deciphering the truth? Because look, personally, I don't believe Israel can't be wrong on even one issue. I mean, I don't know. There must be something that Israel does wrong. But when the other side indulges in such lies, then how do you think we actually try and find out maybe where the Israelis also have messed up? I think one thing is, yes, uh, given how polarized everything has become in the last few years, in the last five years, ten years or whatever, it's much more difficult to find out exactly what has happened. That is uh, unfortunate. It puts a lot more pressure on uh, the individual uh, to go through a lot of news media and everything. Um, and there's unfortunately uh, very little you can do about this. And you have to educate yourself. You, you can't do a 10-second Google search and... Uh, expect to have an opinion. And that's where the problem starts. That's exactly what people want. So one way is to uh, vet the quality of sources, meaning not people you agree with necessarily, necessarily but people you can trust will share uh, both sides. Now, I have no uh, problem expect, uh, saying that both sides have done uh, bad things. I don't think uh, that's a shock because there's a war going on in the heat of battle things happen there are cases where for example israeli security services have been uh, more more than perhaps necessary now of course there are many reasons for this also but that reason doesn't excuse them like for example uh, palestinians dying in israeli custody for example or uh, when a prison, uh, when someone is taken prisoner uh, he is uh, restrained with overwhelming force that he you know breaks his hip or something in the process now, these things have happened, but Israel being a democracy, a democracy can't hide this. Uh, I remember in the mid eighties, there was one case I think where the Shin Bet, uh, the, one of the security services in Israel, they were captured on camera or something, or uh, I think somebody saw them. In those days, they didn't have too many cameras, um, beating some uh, Arab captured Arab. Arab. Uh, I'm not sure if they not came from uh, West Bank or is an Arab Israeli, but whatever, whatever. It's become a huge UN cry. Israel does not have uh, what do you call a scheme whereby killing Arabs gives you stipends. Uh, this is this is the you know Palestinian Authority that does it, and there's a fundamental difference. The question is, look, mistakes will happen, and th these are real tragedies when these mistakes happen because there are people involved. It's involved. It's not a little check mark. Mark family involved. There's a little girl involved. There's like you know a mother, a brother. So in that sense, it is tragic. But what is the intention? Is something is to ask you. If you look overwhelmingly, the, uh, the people who are uh, anti-Israel and pro-Palestinian, so to speak, you hear the same rhetoric, I want to wipe the Jews out, I want to wipe Israel out. Like That's basically it. Uh, look at the Hamas charter. For all that we will accept is, you know, ex uh, we are willing to accept Israel rhetoric. The charter has not been modified yet. 
charter clearly says that we will never uh, what do you call recognize israel so what are you supposed to do in the face of such hostility uh, you don't have a choice um, as golda meir said once you know if the arabs put down their weapons we will have peace if we put down our weapons we will not be there so in such a scenario what do you think are the possible steps not just for uh, let's say you know as far as this conflict is concerned where do you see this conflict going then i mean if each, both sides are just you know hell bent on their uh, point of view then how do we work around this because one side says you're not even allowed to attack me while i bomb the living uh, even though from uh, low intensity or whatever intensity rockets there are and then the other side says look we're going to defend ourselves and then this property uh, dispute which is educate uh, you know which was pretty much it went to the courts and the courts said that there is no proper documentation on the israeli side the israeli courts i mean so how do you solve such a you know mess i mean do you see a solution or this is just going to be a back and forth going on forever i think one of the reasons this goes back and forth is because the international community allows this we pretend that we are taking care of of humanitarian area concerned about uh, gazans or something but we are not we are enabling uh, a terrorist organization to be in power but ruin the lives of uh, gazans you want to free gaza yeah you should free gaza not from israel but from uh, hamas the fact of the matter is uh, gaza Israel got out in 2005. So if Gaza is poor today, it's because these guys are spending money, spending buying rockets and anti-tank uh, guided missiles uh, and these sorts of things. That they're paying stipends to all these uh, terrorists and not investing it in hospitals and roads and clean water and these sorts of things. And the same thing I can say thing at West Bank also, although it's much better in the West Bank than Gaza, of course. Uh, there's Area C, which is under Israeli control. Area A. Which is under Palestinian control, where they they are in charge. So anybody who's complaining there, it's like really their fault. And area B is mixed, meaning the civilian uh, aspects are Palestinian and the security aspects are shared. Shared. Now, the A and B zones, Israelis are not allowed to go, but Palestinians can freely come to the Israeli zone. So we talk about freedom of movement. I'm just going to explain to you. Uh, people come from Gaza into Israel all the time, but Israelis don't go into Gaza. because it's just too too unsafe and so the israelis are not allowed to go to gaza so this notion that uh, israel is uh, an apartheid state or something yeah see here's the problem apartheid also there's an intent of keeping it that way you know the thing with the south african apartheid regime was they said this is a permanent truth and this is how we want to keep it if you look at the israelis for example ehud barak ehud olmert uh, they made some real uh, peace uh, efforts but they were spurned what to do one of the other things you will notice is when a struggle goes on for goes long at the end of the day somebody is going to get tired of it and say well if you don't want to listen to me fine i'll just keep bombing you and that's just how it is going to be we'll see we we can make more bullets than you can make babies let's go for it the big shift in israel in my opinion uh, comes with the second intifada uh, if you if you remember i don't know if you remember but in the late 90s uh, there was a lot of uh, left wing sort of support for the peace process oslo and all that sort of stuff second intifada starts in 2000 and that's the beginning of the right wing turn and people are tired of fighting non stop without any solution and uh, because these what they say is look we have seen all these peace negotiations happen and every single time it is sabotaged by the palestinians uh, i understand the palestinian perspective here what they are saying is we don't want to institute institutionalize our dispossession but if the 
basically like they, they went to a casino they gambled 100 rupees they lost and then they like no 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 i want my 100 rupees back it doesn't work that way sorry now your negotiations see what you can get back and you have to work with it all right then what do you tell those people who say oh it's only because of the settlements that the that this uh, thing keeps on existing if the israelis would not have done those settlements these problems would not have existed you know the only thing israel needs to do is get rid of those settlements and then we can sit on the table and talk and you know we can have those uh, two nation solution etc etc my first question is tell me the settlements started after 1967 are you trying to tell me that there was peace before 1967 is my first response to that The answer is no, so don't even bother telling me yes. So this is absolutely not true that the settlements are the cause. And what has happened is also with the settlements, what happens is uh, in many cases, what Israel does is land swap. Instead of moving six hundred thousand people back and forth uh, around the country, they say, okay, look, we can remove this, this, this settlement over here. These settlements, there's too many people, many people remove them. But what we'll do is, okay, they take like you know, I don't know, say. 310 square kilometers. So we'll give you 310 square kilometers somewhere else. If you look at the Trump plan, for example, if you look at the borders, there was land swap uh, agreement. I think the sticking point is not the settlement. Actually, if I remember correctly, the negotiations they all break down over Jerusalem at the end of the day. Uh, and the issue with that is very simple, as the Israelis have pointed out uh, time and again. When Jordan, this is a moderate Arab power, mind you. Again. Okay, when Jordan held uh, Jerusalem before 1967, the Israelis could not access the Temple Mount. Today, Israel owns Jerusalem completely, and guess what? They have been nice enough to allow the Waqf uh, from Jordan to continue administering the Temple Mount. I don't, I, you know, any country that wins a war so decides, so decides, like in 1967, and then says, okay, fine, you know, let's not uh, unnecessarily really piss people off. We have fun, but it's okay. We can, you know. Allow these people to come also. Israel could have said, "No, the same way you guys kept us out, we'll keep you out." Okay, then if this is the case, and this is, uh, as you're saying, a religious uh, conflict, and you know, at least in my view, when it comes to religion, there never seems to be a good solution because uh, you know, religion, especially of a certain variety, always seems to be a very absolutist state of mind. I mean, religion tends to create when at its uh, not at its uh, mild form, but religion when it's used at its extreme form, does tend to create an absolutist uh, mindset. Um, what do you do then? so if it is the temple mount it is obviously of value to both the religious sects and you know as we all know that uh, the muslims have control and the jews are not even allowed to enter there so then are we to conclude that this is a never ending problem and we're always going to be bearing this and let's just come to terms with the reality that this is going to go on forever i don't know if it'll go on forever i'm hoping that uh, some day maybe 200 years from now somebody will be like okay this has gone on for too long i don't even remember why we are fighting what the hell is going on um everybody likes to give the example of how germany and france managed to make peace and as i always point out this that's true because after about 1200 years of warfare i hope to god it doesn't take 1200 years in this situation but i think at the end of the day there has to be some sort of uh, willingness on both sides to talk If I were an Israeli nationalist, let's say a hardcore nationalist, a secular nationalist, I would want a two-state solution for the simple reason I don't. I because I want to maintain the Jewish identity of my state. If I annex all this, either I have to consign myself to not being democratic and uh, being an apartheid state, if I because I'm going to absorb like three to four million Palestinians and not give them rights. But if I give them rights, then the Jewish nature is going to 
vanish, evaporate overnight. So as a, if I were an Israeli nationalist, I would want a two-state solution. I can't imagine when people say Israelis don't want. I don't think that's true. Maybe the religious people, but that's uh, about 10% of the population, honestly speaking, who are absolutely hardcore uh, on uh, not giving up the West Bank at all. Um, and the thing is, I don't think it's necessarily purely a religious conflict. Because see, back in the day, it was a nationalist conflict. Uh, with the weakness, with the destruction of uh, you know like heavy damage, uh, PLO and all these things, the previous uh, Palestinian um, attempts, Hamas comes to the fore only in the early 80s, basically. And Hamas is an Islamic movement. Before that, it was a nationalist. nationalist. So one hope is that is that Islamists will be defeated and the nationalists will... Uh, this is inter, uh, intra-Palestinian questions only, I'm saying. Let us, when we talk about Palestinians, let's not pretend for even half a second that there's one united Palestinian front. Uh, there are many factions. So let's be very clear. They have uh, the Islamic Islamic Hamas, uh, they have the Palestinian Authority, Authority, and sometimes they agree and usually they don't with each other. Uh, but anyway, the thing is, is if we can see the rise of a nationalist rather than Islamist uh, grouping again, um, maybe there's uh, some chance of a dialogue or something. Okay, then if somebody was to ask that, you know, eventually, if we're going to be drawing, so if there is a two-state solution, again, the settlements need to be dealt with, uh, the issue of the Temple Mount needs to be dealt with, then what do you think they're going to go back to a scenario where they were very close to the two-state solution where they had some i mean where does i i you know this seems to be one of those issues which is going to be like iska koi solution hi nahi hai ki, both the sides seem to be hardening their stance or or do you think the american interference would help or uh, i mean in these cases nowadays america also politically has taken a very hard u-turn Normally, America used to be, you know, very much into the side of Israel. And now there is a serious, you know, political wing coming up in America where, where you see a lot of anti-Semitism too. So do you think that is also a cause for worry? Because otherwise, America would have played a serious role in, uh, you know, settling this problem. Um, Anti-Semitism is a problem wherever it is. Yes, and certainly in America, it is rising. But it is not of too much concern just yet for the state of Israel. I think they're definitely keeping an eye on it and it is a concern in, you know, in the sense that it exists. But in terms of influence uh, on policy, not so much. Um, yes, I mean, now we have the squad, for example. So it's definitely, you know, it is increasing. But I don't think that's an issue. I think that's an issue. Here's the thing. I, again, I don't think settlements are a problem. I think we can think we get the settlements. I think you can, I think you can land uh, for settlements. Uh, I keep, you know, Israel keeps certain settlements and gives land somewhere else uh, in exchange. That can be done. That's not going to be the problem. Uh, it's the point is, are you willing to even discuss this? As I mean, the Israelis have been saying for a long time now, almost 20 years, I think, that they have no partners for peace. I have to agree with that. Uh, who can you negotiate with? If you negotiate with the Palestinian Authority, guess what? The, the rockets are not being fired by the Palestinian Authority, right? Not Hamas. And Hamas is quite clear, we want to wipe Israel out. You have an intractable foe who's not going to change his mind and is basically kept alive by international, uh, I don't know, bleeding hearts or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's not bleeding hearts, it's just that, see, when they are not suffering, nobody cares. Uh, if 
you know bombs start blowing up in uh, london's metros and madrid's metro suddenly these people immediately realize what the problem is uh, with the unra and all these other organizations and stuff so much and so many ngos are being um, used by uh, the palestinians uh, to fund money uh, for these sorts of efforts this you have and that's why this problem is being kept alive in many ways if they genuinely like if there was a, a genuine effort in europe and america to curb these things i think you can really get a strangled hold on this no see here everybody you know this is false belief that the insurgencies will always outlast the occupier you know this sort of uh, romantic conversation you know talk the fact of matter is for an insurgency it has to be funded from somewhere it has to get weapons and all these sorts of things it is not only iran that is providing uh, hamas and hezbollah with weapons they're getting it from uh, so many islamic charities in kuwait and qatar and all these sorts of other places uh, turkey is supporting uh, them also um and there are many like well meaning uh, people uh, what organizations who have been misled and then there are some deliberately duplicitous organizations which are siphoning money out of this if this can be controlled even even if even if you just uh, what do you call turn off the faucets from europe and america that would be a huge blow uh, in that sense this the, the 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 root of this problem ultimately follow the money i would say that would really do some damage all right so let me just see if somebody you know so i'll just take one or two questions from a live viewers so somebody has asked is this a power struggle between mahmud abbas and hamas um yes um because i mean remember in 2007 and 8 fatah and hamas went to war so there is that aspect to it. that's exactly what i was saying earlier that uh, i think that i, I don't think, you know many people say hamas planned this i don't think they planned this honestly I, you know they fired a few rockets they thought they you know maybe israel will fire one or two rockets or something and it'll be over and if you notice hamas within like a day or maybe two most they were like okay ceasefire ceasefire uh, they were open to it because they didn't expect it to go that much now what's happened is israel really went has gone after them done some real damage uh, a lot more needs to be done of course but uh, to really like weaken them but still some serious damage has been done um and that that's that's what changed the tone of this conflict and people have forgotten the the political side between hamas and uh, mahmud abbas there's def- that is definitely an element i think that is the real reason why this started not uh, shimonat sadik all right so somebody has asked can this be fixed by giving the evictees alternate property somewhere else just like maybe the babri case in principle i suppose that can be done although that is you know there's a it's not a i don't know if it's a fair solution necessarily but it is a solution that causes less bloodshed the reason i say that is because um, they have no claim to property elsewhere um, but nonetheless if it is done i think yes that might help a little bit but honestly speaking i think the fact that this land is in jerusalem uh, changes the nature of this because like even if those families are willing i guarantee you there are other people who are not willing in fact there have been cases in the past uh, i think 2016 i think it was uh, an arab man who sold his house to a jew in jerusalem was killed uh, and now these are the things see, the international media is nowhere to be seen when these these sort of things happen people should if you really want to get to the bottom of this i'd say learn hebrew start reading the local press learn arabic also fine i mean read the local press and you'll see a completely different picture 
so jedi what would you tell to those people who say are you know how can those people have been living there forever that is their claim to the land how can you tell them to go etc etc uh, it is their land too they also have stake in that land uh, so if somebody raised that kind of a question see the way i look at it is that palestine is about as real as south asia the south asia exists of course it does can you show me the passport the flag of south asia um, no why not why? because it's a region Palestine was never a state, so you say it was their land. Yeah, they were living there, sure, but there was no political authority. Who owned the land before the Israelis came in? The British, and before that, the Ottomans. And you know, you keep going back. You'll go to the Persians, the Greeks, uh, the, I mean, the Romans, the Greeks, and then you'll go back again to the Jews. So this notion that uh, they've always been there. Yeah, people have been there. That is true, but my. point is not whether this person has been there my point is that uh, the national identity the claim to national identity and i think israel will have the same issue i don't think is uh, see israel has 20% uh, uh, non jews arab israeli population right the issue is uh, and these people uh, they are not it's not compulsory for them to serve in the military and all these sort of things but if many people do join uh, the military from uh, the arab israeli community not a lot but still quite a few do Uh, enough that i can mention it it's not like one or two people it's you know now the issue is this now uh, let me give you an example of france for example the great secular republic right what did they say uh, when napoleon uh, freed the jews uh, they said uh, the individual jew all the us to the jewish national community no rights no recognition that's exactly what israel would say You want to live here? That's fine, but forget this idea that you are a separate state. You are not a state. You are an individual. You happen to be an Arab, to be an Jew. Fine, you can live here. You can, and you know the thing is, for all the so-called apartheid state and all this nonsense that I hear, uh, do you know that the Israeli state has allowed uh, Arab uh, Arab uh, its Arab population to have its own education stream? It's not like one uniform education board for all Israelis. The Arabs have their own um, newspapers and radios and schools, which are which get funding from uh, the Israeli government. And if this is a part, I think we I need to go look at the dictionary again. I'll be pretty confused by this sort of apartheid definition. Uh, okay, so uh, Jerry, uh, uh, before we wrap things up, so just uh, what would your last comments be? What do you do with this scenario, like? do you see the conflict dying down in the future you know in the next few days do you see you think hamas is going to reduce the intensity of the rocket firing or do you see the israeli military actually increasing the intensity of uh, attacks on the other side and and also uh, you know in your closing comments can you also tell us a bit about fatah what happened to them fatah is in um, the west bank and i'm sure they're happy with what's going on right now because you know like they're happy for any sort of uh, damage to the israelis and that sort of stuff but they're not going to get involved in it and fatah is essentially the internationally recognized face of palestine so there are many things that they cannot do if they openly engage in the sort of activities hamas does they'll be branded terrorist and they will lose whatever diplomatic gains they have made in the last uh, 20 30 years so that's one thing And you know there is some there are some things that have really puzzled me about the Israeli approach to this. For example, they announced that they have been trying to kill these two people, Yahya Sinwar and uh, Mohammad Daif. I was like, why would anyone announce? So this has really puzzled me also. Why they have been so you know open about these things? I don't get it. Um, that said, I think yeah, this 
uh, will die down for the simple reason that Hamas can't keep going on forever. There are only so many rockets they can fire, and Israel is going to give it back hard. I mean, I live near an air force base, and I'll tell you that many times in the middle of the night, I can't sleep because there are so many jets flying over. In the morning, I wake up and I'll, I'll hear 160 planes uh, took part in an operation that pounded uh, the tunnels, the tunnels which uh, Hamas has dug underground to sneak its operatives into Israel. and uh, they have targeted uh, rocket launchers and these sorts of things so in that sense israel can definitely last longer than hamas in that sense but what israel can't last is uh, the public uh, pressure international pressure um and in that sense i think the conflict can die down in fact the stocks of ceasefire starting tomorrow 6 pm uh, i don't think it will happen by tomorrow 6 pm but already these uh, discussions have happened um and so you know and basically what's happening is what this is called uh, moving the grass the problem is that the grass grows back stronger in 2005 the disengagement uh, when the israelis left gaza uh, unilaterally without demanding any from the palestinians uh, palestinian rockets can could barely penetrate like 15 20 kilometers into israel now they're hitting bersheba and uh, tel aviv and you know the range of the rockets is improved this is the problem um but um, yeah All right, so I guess Jadi, uh, we'll wrap it up now. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I know we we have had uh, technical issues today, but uh, we somehow made made through them. Whatever we could do about it. So, uh, Jadi, thanks a lot for coming and uh, talking to us at the Chapa Podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, you know, if your listeners have questions, I think you can put my Twitter handle on. I'm usually pretty open to sensible discussions. All right, guys. Time to wrap today's discussion up. Actually, if you go to the description of the podcast, you'll already see Jaydeep's uh, Twitter handle uh, mentioned over there. So, if you have any questions for Jaydeep, please feel free to reach out to Jaydeep on this issue. He, he, you know, it's actually he's spent a major portion of his life studying this issue in detail, and uh, and uh, he knows what he's talking about. Um, uh, I once again apologize for all the technical issues today. I will once I go off. the the live stream i'll edit all of the kinks out and you know if you maybe watch this uh, a couple of days down the line you'll not even know that anything happened maybe the audio issues will remain but yeah i'll try to fix it them in the audio version too once again thanks a lot for uh, supporting the charvak podcast i request you to to like the video subscribe to the channel share the video leave your comments there if you can support the charvak podcast please become a member of the youtube channel also go on patreon and subscribe to the channel if you want to send direct donations you can send them to kushal mehra at icici and also buy the charvak podcast merch on kishakushalmehra.com or kadakmerch.com i'll see you next time until then namaste take care goodbye